Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is such a blessing to be with you today. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning, if you would. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would. I'm going to be in John chapter 8, and I'm going to touch on a couple of different scriptures from the Gospel of John. If you have your uh, phone or tablet handy and turn on our WFR Church app, you can follow along with some specific scriptures that we have listed there and some fill-in-the-blank answers to help you stay locked in. We're continuing our sermon series uh, today that's been taken from 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. The series itself is called Grow. I just want to remind you of what we've been talking about in 2 Peter 3.18. The Bible says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have been reborn, there is a mandate biblically to grow in grace. As we've discussed, grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Nothing you do will merit the grace of God, the favor of God, which presents a pretty unique issue. How can we grow in something that we can't earn, that we cannot merit, or that we never deserve? What we've discovered is that the Bible teaches us to grow in grace means to just open up our lives, open up our minds and our hearts to allow God's grace more space to be poured into our lives. Uh, one way the scriptures teach us to do that is through discipline. Living the spiritually disciplined life that Jesus lived opens up space through which the grace of God can be poured into our lives. We also talked about deliverance, being set free from strongholds, not carrying around a ball and chain of some hidden sin or unrepented for mistake opens up our life to be filled with the grace of God. We learned last week that the scriptures teach us to allow the desires God has for us to become our desires so that the grace of God can manifest itself in the things that we want out of life. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of wrap our series in preparation for, uh, the Christopher Ewan, uh, sermon next weekend by talking through the idea of declaration. The declarations of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, those that He speaks over His people, when we live by them and find our identity in them, allow us to grow in grace, to live by grace, to be overwhelmed by the grace of God. So here's what we can say. How can I grow in grace? You can grow in grace by finding your identity completely, totally, and unequivocally in Christ Jesus. We might say it like this. The more a Christian grows in grace, the more clearly they see themselves as Jesus sees them. They then come to define themselves based on Jesus' declaration of who they are, how He sees them, what their true identity actually is. And when we live according to the declarations of Jesus, grace overwhelms and pours out from our life. In life, there's a lot of ways we can define ourselves. 
If I were to just meet you and we shook hands and I said, I'm Trent, you might introduce yourself as so-and-so, and then you might describe yourself based on a relationship. You might describe yourself as a husband or a bride or a son or a daughter. My last name is Langhofer. I might introduce myself based on my family relationships. We could also define ourselves by our expertise or experience. With Veterans Day close at hand, some of us might introduce ourselves as men and women who have served in our armed forces. And I want to take just one moment to ask every person who has served in our armed forces who would identify as a veteran of the United States military to take a stand really quickly. We want to honor you for your service to our country. We want to honor you for your service to our country, our God, and the cause of freedom around the world. Some of us might identify ourselves by our location. Some of us might say, if we're from Kansas, which is where I'm from, I'm Kansan. Uh, If you're from Alabama, you might say, I'm out of the college football playoff picture for the rest of the year. Come on now, come on. I'm going to get some mileage out of that. That's one of three references. you got two more to deal with this morning. To cap that off, if you're from Louisiana, you may say, National Championship, here I come. Uh, what we find is that while these definitions are important, they all fall short. They don't satisfy your longing for more, for a greater purpose. They don't add deeper meaning to your life. They don't leave a legacy that actually matters. And they aren't absolute truth. They may get it a part of who we are, but every single one of these definitions falls short. Who Jesus declares you and I to be is who we truly are. And if I'm going to be honest with you, church, and I'm going to share some things that are going to teach you that this is not all good news. This doesn't all come up roses. And we can live in a religious culture where everything is good, the world is safe, you and I are loved regardless of what we do, what we think, or how we act, and God is just this gigantic, loving teddy bear in the sky who is all cuddly and ugly. Jesus teaches us there's more to that story. Let's go to John chapter 8 and learn the rest of Jesus' declarations to us. In John chapter 8 and verse 21, the Bible says that once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you'll look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, well, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I go, you cannot come? But Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You're not, you are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, this is not what most religious culture focuses on day to day. This isn't the teddy bear in the sky. This isn't everything coming up roses. This is cold, hard truth. 
Jesus declares in this passage that without Him, we are in darkness. Jesus says, you are from below. You are in darkness. In this passage of Scripture, in John chapter 8, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a unique place in Scripture. The Garden of Gethsemane is at the base of the Mount of Olives. It's the place Jesus prayed before He's crucified. In Acts chapter 1, it's the place that Jesus ascends to heaven from. And in John chapter 8, it's the location from which He forgave a woman who was caught in adultery. After the woman set free by Jesus, John's gospel records Jesus teaching us about the nature of life. Jesus teaches us about who he truly is in John 8. And he teaches you and I who we truly are without him. In John's gospel, these contrasting ideas help us gain a sense of what Jesus is talking about. The ideas of good and evil are present. The idea of truth versus lie, of freedom versus bondage. And in our text today, light versus darkness. In John 8, 12, Jesus actually says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life itself. With Jesus, we have light, but without him, we have darkness. That's a similar similar statement to the one Jesus makes in John 12, 46. But John 12, 46 really gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me, listen to this phrase, should remain in darkness, should remain in the condition that they were in before me, should remain as they were before being born again, before being converted and before being transformed. Before Jesus, we are in darkness. And that's a darkened state of mind. Before Jesus, your understanding is darkened. Your natural self imagines dark, sinful things. Your natural self values material over the spiritual and has trouble understanding the deeper things of God. An artist that I've read quite a bit is a guy named, by the name of Francis Chan. And we don't necessarily agree theologically on all points, but this guy strikes me as a guy who's got some spiritual maturity. And Francis Chan just released a statement that he is leaving the United States of America soon and is going to become a missionary in Asia. Here's what's incredible about this. This guy was the pastor of a large up-and-coming church in California. Could have made hundreds of thousands of dollars each year had he stayed in that career, had published books, been, been awarded with uh, uh, book deals, future, future book deals, and royalties from book sales that landed him on the national bestsellers list. And this guy steps away from ministry for a time, begins to do ministry in, in homes and with small groups of people, and today is in a situation where he feels God is calling him to abandon all the material possessions he's accumulated and to leave his reputation behind and step down from a position of influence and take upon himself the form of a servant and live as a missionary. That's hard to imagine. For the natural mind. 
It doesn't make sense. This guy had gotten it all. He had finally arrived. He was independent, wealthy, didn't have to depend on anyone. And now he's given it all up just for the sake of Christ. It's hard for the natural mind to understand why someone would abandon every material comfort they have and take up the cause of a missionary. That's because our understanding without Jesus is darkened. Our morals without Jesus are darkened. Before Jesus, our moral compass malfunctions. Anything seems like in any given moment it could be right or worth pursuing or worth participating in. Look at the men who accused the adulterous woman in John chapter 8 for a perfect example of this. These guys are not Christians. They're not followers of Jesus. And as such, their morals are skewed. They're looking to trap Jesus and kill this woman rather than seek freedom, healing, and transformation. Think about our culture today, ladies and gentlemen. In our culture, we... Approve abortion. In our culture, so often we support any variety of marriage other than that between one man and one woman. How can we even entertain the idea that there are more than two genders? That's all possible when you consider the reality that this is a darkened place and our understanding is darkened. And it's why churches have to take a stand. It's why churches have to preach the truth in love. It's why churches have to actively work to transform and influence culture. It's not acceptable to stand by and say we love everybody and assume that means tolerating every kind of sin, every kind of worldview, and every kind of gender, marriage, and stance on abortion. It is up to us. It is up to us to be salt, a preservative in a world that is quickly decaying. I want to remind you, we've mentioned it already, and I want to plug this again. Next weekend at White Stray Road, we're taking a stand for truth. We're going to teach people who have been ensnared and imprisoned by sexual immorality, especially same-sex attraction, that there is a way out. There is healing And there is freedom and there is transformation to be found in Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This this is free to the community. We just need you to register so we'll know how many people we got. That's Saturday, November 16th from 9 to 1. And Christopher Ewan will be in our pulpit Sunday to talk about his transformation from darkness to light. Our motives are also darkened before Jesus, without Jesus, we are the center of our motives and drives. And physical pleasure and material comfort is our goal. Before Christ, we would go to great lengths to seek after pleasure and to seek after comfort. Sin wasn't just a part of our life. It was a centerpiece of our life. And we would be willing to do anything to seek after the pleasure or comfort that we desired. The ends before Jesus became Lord of our life justified any and every means. Which means that you and I were not just darkened without Jesus, but without Him, we were in despair. Jesus says, you are from below 
and you are of this world. And in some situations we find ourselves in, we simply cannot win. We understand we can't actually find pleasure. We understand that we never find comfort. We understand that we never find satisfaction outside of Jesus. And no matter how hard we look, we just can't find what we're looking for. No matter how hard we push or how hard we fight, we simply cannot win. You don't have to look very far for an illustration of this. Yesterday in Bryant-Denny Stadium, Alabama simply could not win. They found themselves in a situation that was literally impossible for them to succeed in. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, being of the world means being in a situation in which you cannot win. Because that's a characteristic are those who are of the world. I don't have this on the screen for you. But I do want to give you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and are called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by, in the body by human hands. Remember, and now he's going to describe the situation people find themselves in without Jesus. Remember, at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. That means in life you were without hope and without God in the world. You were in despair. You could not win. You did not have hope. You did not have help. And no matter how hard you tried, you could not find what you were looking for. There is no situation or life more desperate than a life lived Without Jesus Christ. That's a terrifying picture of reality. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15 and verse 5. He says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But listen to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot win. You cannot find satisfaction. You are helpless and you are hopeless in the pit of despair. And one of the saddest, most frightening qualities of people who are without Jesus is how easily they overestimate themselves or their situation. Trying to convince their own self. That things are not really as bad as they seem. In a day of pop psychology and self-help, listen to this. Our culture says to you, and I'm going to cover a few slogans from some companies that you'll recognize, I hope, that illustrate how central our culture says that you are, how central your pleasure and your comfort should be, and how easy it is just to get it all by yourself. When I was growing up, for whatever reason, I saw this commercial a lot. I'm going to sing the jingles if I know them. Bear with me. Here's one of them. Yes, you can. Glamour shots. You want to look beautiful? You want people to approve of you? You want to be validated? You want to be accepted? Yes, you can. Just come in here and let us make you beautiful. Let us paint that picture and then take it and capture you at your best. Yes, You can. 
If you're a child of the 70s, you may recognize this L'Oreal slogan. I don't know the tune. Because you're worth it. You're worth it. You're good enough. You deserve this. You've earned it. Now spoil yourself a little bit because you're worth it. Culture teaches you that you're a champion. All you got to do is eat your Wheaties, which is the breakfast of champions. Man, you want to win in life. There's nothing to it. Eat your Wheaties. Kind of along that same line is this idea, just do it. Just go out there and just do it. That's Nike. Just play a little harder. Just work a little longer. Just give a little bit more effort. Just stay on the field for one more second. Just do it. That's all you got to do. You're strong enough. You're capable enough. You're talented enough. Just do it. And our clothing and shoes will help you. How about this? How about this? Burger King. Have it your way. Your life just doesn't. And shouldn't not revolve around you. So have it your way. Whatever way that is, just have it your way. In the 1970s, Adidas had a slogan that said, impossible is nothing. You can do everything through your own strength, your own power, your own practice, and your own training. Gillette taught men that we deserve the best, the very best we could get. And at McDonald's, what you find is true love. But up, 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 You know where I'm going with that. I'm loving it. Man, our culture is teaching you that you can do everything without Christ. And Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can't do anything. You can do nothing. What, what would a flower be without a stem? What would a vine be without a branch? They'd be completely helpless, completely hopeless, completely in despair with no future, no dreams, no vision, no purpose, and no peace. But if we live by what our culture says, then we should have all of these things. We should have a future that matters. We should have dreams that we feel like we can accomplish. We should have a vision for the, le- for the life that we live that gives us a sense of purpose and peace. And we keep finding that we come up short time and time and time again. And that's because really without Jesus, we are as good as dead. We're as good as dead. Walking around with skin on, a heartbeat, and breath in our lungs, but no real life, no identity. It's the last part of those verses we read from John 8. If you do not believe that I am He, you will indeed die in your sins. You are a darkened individual in the midst of despair, dead in your trespasses and sins. You are hopeless and you are helpless. And at some level, ladies and gentlemen, you and I know that to be true. The book of Genesis records that we've been designed in God's image with eternity set in our hearts. We know there's something greater. We know there's something more, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11. And because you and I have a conscience, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, God says that the Spirit uses your conscience to convict you when you are doing wrong and approve of you when you are doing right.
We know the bad things we are doing. We can sense the hopelessness, lack of satisfaction and fulfillment in the material world. And we are left craving more. We're left knowing that there's more. We're left desperate for more. And thankfully, Jesus declares that there is more to our story. And there can be more to our identity than this. Let me give you John 15. Starting in verse 13, Jesus tells you, every person under the sound of my voice, all those watching online, our screen family, Tommy Perkins, hope you're feeling better this morning. Jesus says to every person, every nation, every tribe and tongue, greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I now no longer call you slaves or servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Wow. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Ladies and gentlemen, in these verses, Jesus declares, you are loved. You are loved. And it's not just love like we know it so casually. In fact, no one has ever loved you as much as Jesus loved you. There is no greater love ever shown than the love Jesus demonstrated for each of you by laying his life down for yours. While you were darkened in your understanding, Jesus loved you. While you were morally bankrupt, Jesus loved you. While you were self-centered and self-serving, Jesus loved you. While you were without hope and without help, Jesus loved you. While you were a dead person walking around with breath in your lungs and a heartbeat in your chest, Jesus loved you. He loved you then. He loved you now. And He will keep loving you until He returns. You are loved. You are loved. And Jesus doesn't just declare you're loved. Jesus declares that you belong. You belong. Jesus laid down His life for you because He declares... You can become a friend of God himself through Jesus Christ, the Lord. His love actually allows you to be born again of water and of the Spirit. And when you are reborn, you become a friend of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You get adopted into the family of the God of the universe. And your soul finds the place for which it has been longing for since the day you were born. You belong there. There was a sitcom in the 80s that described how long each of us has waited to find that place and how desperate we are for it. And the theme song for the sitcom Cheers really does a good job describing that. I'm not going to sing it. You're welcome. The first verse says, Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away So many of us have said things like that to ourselves from time to time. And the chorus goes on to say, sometimes you want to go 
where everybody knows your name, where they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. And our culture pretends to offer the artificial version of that, whether it's in some bar or some club or some other place that you shouldn't be. And Jesus says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me. I will love you more than anyone has shown another person how much they love them. I will lay down my life for you and you can become my friend. You can find your family. You can find your people, your tribe, your clan, and the place where you really belong. And that's what you've really been looking for, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus declares that there is hope. As a leadership, we have been praying about and thinking about this Christopher Ewan seminar, and ultimately this is his testimony. There's hope. There is no one that is ever too far gone. There's no sin or stronghold that can't be broken, that people can't be set free from. There's no darkness in which light cannot shine. There is no evil that the goodness and power of God cannot defeat. There's hope. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus put it like this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Sometimes you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death itself. Sometimes you may be so deep in a prison, you are in despair. You may be in storm-tossed seas or hurricane-force winds. But don't let your hearts be troubled. You are loved. You belong. And there is hope. Trust in God and also in Jesus. Because there's more than enough room. Jesus says in my Father's home, if this were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and I'll get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is at work right now, this very second. And he's preparing a place, not for me, not for the person on your left or your right. He's preparing a place for you. A place without darkness, where understanding is crystal clear, morals are aligned with everything good and right and true, and every motivation of every heart will be pure. A place without despair, a place with unlimited hope, unlimited peace, and unlimited joy, totally satisfying. This is a place where your true friends are. It's the place where your true family is. And it's a place protected by, designed by, and maintained by, for all eternity, your true Father, the God of the universe, and your best friend, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. When things are ready, He's going to come and call all of His own home. And one of those places can be yours if you'll allow the declarations he has spoken over you today to make a difference in your life. If you will surrender your life to Jesus, if you'll be transformed by water and the Spirit, 
reborn to walk brand new in Christ Jesus, one of those places can be yours. I don't know what the burden is you're carrying with you this morning. I don't know what struggle you face. I don't know what lie you are living by today. But I know that you are loved, that you belong, and that there is hope if you are in Jesus Christ. And I want you to have access to that today. So I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to sing the verse of a song. And I invite you to respond and lay your burdens down and be transformed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you just so so grateful for the declarations you have spoken to us about our true selves. God, before Jesus, without Christ, we are in darkness, we are in despair, and we are as good as dead, walking around maybe with breath in our lungs and a heartbeat in our chest, but totally and completely without hope. And I'm so thankful that through the love of Jesus that he demonstrated on his cross, that God, we can lay our lives down, surrender to you and be reborn. And I just ask that any here who are carrying a burden or who have not been born again, God, would surrender to you this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.